0: I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. In these Gurus Editions, we'll feature strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, recovery scientists, and other performance specialists who help athletes to be their best. This is part two of our conversation with mobility guru, Kelly Starrett, a coach and physical therapist who has revolutionized how athletes think about human movement and athletic performance. He has helped NHL, MLB, NBA, and NFL players, Olympians, and other elite athletes to resolve pain, prevent injury, and improve performance by optimizing how they move. But Kelly's input is just as valuable for those whose biggest challenge is correcting the poor posture that comes from sitting at a desk all day.
1: Let's start with the things we can control. And you know what we're learning is, again, like from nutrition... We find it very hard to rip things out of people's hands. But this is my coping mechanism. I've always like, but I'm like, okay, I'll take the cue from one of our friends, E.C. Sinkowski, who says, let's go ahead and make you eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't care how you do it. You wanna eat all apples, you wanna eat all rutabaga, you wanna do that (laughs) in watermelon, knock yourself out. But already the micronutrient density of that food, that 800, that 1.7 pounds of food is gonna make you so full and make you feel so like, I'm tired of eating dummy meat anymore, right? And what happens then is you're probably not gonna reach for a Snickers or something crappy. And then let's get your, let's get your protein up. Let's eat more protein. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I have to eat all this food. And then guess what there isn't room for? Pizza, smashing yourself on cookies. So what we find is that when we add in behaviors, we tend to see some of the less effective behaviors go away. And the more, the ben- more beneficial behaviors Take stock because it's easier to add things in instead of ripping things out, right? Like Soul Cycle and Peloton is not the way towards universal health in America.
0: No, but so, so, first of all, I do want to say we probably should have started this podcast by telling everybody that you and I are both not ricers and the ice is for dead things and motion is lotion and just move more and you'll feel better. We're in that camp. So everybody just get up and I hope you're walking when you're listening to this podcast and not sitting on your couch. Okay, so there's that. But yes, like so Peloton and SoulCycle, not the answer, but getting people to move and get out of the chair and not sit on the couch and think about, all right, if I'm gonna get on the Peloton, I should probably eat properly to fuel my body for that workout. Just getting things in their head, and that's what I, I feel like Peloton like like are good for. Oh, they're fantastic because yeah. we
1: don't, so I think one of the things is, again, I need to sort of categorize things and see how things relate. So this is where I put that stuff together. We have exercise as entertainment on one side. And suddenly mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I understand why that's so fun. And I'll tell you what, Shout out to Jess King. I don't even know Jess King. <laughs> but if you jump into her class on Peloton, I guarantee you, you're going to feel better at the end because someone just talked at you in a positive affirmation way. You just worked out really hard. You were in a virtual community, not as great, but we'll call it a surrogate if we're a busy working person in the middle of the night. Problem is it doesn't scale. We can't put a Peloton in every. There's not enough Pelotons in the world comma, that's not a movement practice. That was a physiologic practice where you worked hard on some cardiovascular conditioning. What about the other aspects? And so what we've told people is this entertainment exercise is enough. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you can't extend your hip or put your arms over your head, or you're not a skill. We've ripped out the skill out of our movement practices, Peloton and yoga. Well, they, I think Peloton does yoga. Yeah. Suddenly you start adding in weight training and movement practices into these things. And now you start to create a more whole where there's a lot of variability. Look, the things you like to do and the things I like to do may be different. That's okay. We don't have to argue about the one fitness. But what I can say is, well, let's assess potentially how strong you are in these different positions, if that's important to you. Well, it turns out my children aren't that strong. They're children, right? So you need to be strong enough to handle whatever your life is. We could say, look, how well-conditioned are you across these different modal domains, right? So, well, biking, running, swimming, they all have a different VO2 max and different skill set. How competent are you on these different energy systems? Short sprints, long sprints, right? So we can start to say, look, I see that you're developing a general competency. That's really great. But on the other side, it can always layer in your skill. If you can't do some things because you're spending all this other time, that may be something to investigate. Or if you're missing your range of motion because you're a tennis player and you only rotate to one side and you can't turn your hip. Then what you're going to see is that may have a cost in terms of not having as many movement solutions or not being able to generate the power that you think you should be able to generate, or God forbid you ever do another different sport or you fall or have to do something wild, like play tag. Suddenly you're going to see you're like, oh, I have an incomplete practice. So again, if we empower people to say, and you can see how reasonable I've gotten as I've gotten older. We should be able to say, well, let's test your fitness against these positions. And if your positional minimums are nailed it and you love this thing, go keep doing your thing because ultimately we can start to look at a lot of musculoskeletal pain problem health as, well, I don't understand. I got on the elliptical for 20 minutes, three times a week. And I'm like, whoa, that is woefully incomplete in terms of developing a movement practice. especially if you want to go fast or throw a ball fast or God forbid, go to the Olympics.
0: Or do anything other than just move your legs in that circular pattern. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes, yes. So as we keep saying, everybody has these issues. If you're a baseball player and you're right-handed, your left side is going to be woefully inept. If you're a catcher who squats all day, you're probably going to have some issues. If you're a surfer and you're always paddling in spinal extension, you're going to have some issues. Everybody's going to have these things. But you keep coming back to these How do you do in these certain positions? What are the positions that everybody, I don't care if you're a pro or a soccer mom or a hundred year old man, what are those positions that you should be able to hit?
1: Well, what we can ask there is, when people like to ask me like, what mobilization or what strength exercise is the most important? And what's really interesting in there is the question that it's not asking is what's not important? Which one of your body parts are you gonna give up? (laughs) <laughs> right? You're like, I, I think I need them all, right? And, you know, maybe you can lose one of your teeth, but that's still going to have problems. So the key here is what you start to see is if you take any sport and position, you'll see that, boy, I need to be competent with my hip in extension, which means my leg coming behind my body, like I'm lunging or running. And if you are missing that ability, you'll see that you'll turn your foot out, when you start to go fast, and that will impact how your foot contacts in the front on the next step, or you'll see that it'll drag your pelvis into a little bit of hip extension, or you'll start to see that your body will work around that problem. You have to, and should be able to do, perform some kind of squat like every toddler. You know, there's this notion out there that everyone has this unique physiology and we're all such special snowflakes. And I'm like, well, that's the case. How would we teach any complex skill to any adult? right? It turns out that's not the case. And if you look at children, even those Scottish children, they go to the Olympics and lift it and lifting, and it's not their Scottish hips. We tell these just so stories, and they're a form of apologetics for people. Oh, I'm so unique. I have to squat in this position. like, you ever played rugby or tennis where you had to squat in a whole bunch of positions or go hiking where you have to be on an ground? What you'll see is that A lot of times the positions that people are like, this is my position. It's the only position they have access to. They don't have movement choice. And that means they are less likely to solve movement problems. So you should be able to put your feet together, I think, and squat all the way to the ground and keep your heels on the ground. Why? That's a good test of normative hip flexion and normative ankle flexion. And that's just using the parts. You're like, look, the parts work. I'm like, great, let's put them together and actually see if the card runs, right? or See if the thing moves. And so what we've done is we've taken the components out of movement and we put the skill out of movement and that's confused people because we're like, look how hard I can work over here on this Peloton or this thing, right? I don't mean to bag on Peloton, I'm a cyclist. I love cycling. I do a lot of indoor cycling, (laughs) get ready for cycling. But the idea here is when we start to say, well, what's fundamental about the physiology? Well, you should be able to put your arms over your head. Without bending your elbows, without flaring your back, and you should be able to do that without having your thumbs backwards. And you should be able to breathe in that position. You should be able to have shoulder extension, like playing crab on the or doing a dip, right? That being able to do a dip or a bottom position of chaturanga, that's a fundamental shoulder position that actually correlates well to old age. They have they found out if you do a push up you were less likely to die as you got older. Why? Because that shoulder extension and the expression of shoulder extension meant you were more functional in your life. So pushing up from a chair is shoulder extension. Mm-hmm. You should be able to internally rotate your shoulder like the finish of a pitch, right? Or the bottom of a kettlebell swing or when you're doing a high pole Olympic lift or or you're swimming at the end of a, of a pole. That rotational component when your arm's out by your side is a crucial piece that allows us to start position for a snatch, for example. And finally, are you competent without your hands in front of your body? Pushing something away, grabbing a shopping cart, bear hugging someone, carrying something. Those positions all have key ranges, but they make the bookends of literally any movement you can think of on the planet. So, our model is we feel like there are seven archetypal positions of the hip and ankle, of the shoulder, and the rest of the system. And through that, simplification of the system, we're able to explain complex motor patterns. So a pitcher on a stretch is in that hang position, but the arms are straight. Mm-hmm. So working with a Cy Young award winner who was doing crazy stuff with his throwing hand, it turned out one of the problems was they had no internal rotation on his front shoulder. So as he stretched to throw the shoulder would translate forward. And then that meant he couldn't get in a good position to throw from. So he had to do all these weird looping positions with his front arm. He was missing in his ability to turn the leg and stretch the home plate. So he would stride differently and work around that problem because he couldn't turn, didn't have the rotation and the extension of the hip. What we ideally would love it is that if every coach on the planet could begin or every athlete, more importantly, to begin to understand their inability to hit position in the sport and in the moment, because that's one of the reasons we look at game tape, because we really see what you have to red point when you have to go and express all this stuff in the moment, that's the true test. So think about the absurdity of this. I'm going to do a movement assessment of you and you're fresh, you look great, just came from work. You're totally rested. And I get the snapshot in this moment. Now I'm like, okay, let's go ahead and push out 500 Watts on this bike for three minutes. And then I'm going to test it again. And then I'm going to fatigue you. And then I'm going to make you go fast. And then I'm going to add some load. And then we're going to change movements. And then you're going to compete against this person. And I'm like, oh, what happened to your range of motion? Well, it turns out your ability to maintain this position is the thing that matters the most. So when we don't have a language of people being able to express that movement and competency then we better have a correlate parallel universe. And that turns out to be strength and conditioning. Yeah. Because strength and conditioning ultimately isn't trying to replicate your surfing by having you be on a wobbly ball. That is, it's about, well, here are these fundamental shapes that translate and transfer to all their sports. And it's easy to understand and manipulate the variables in strength conditioning to understand what's happening in these
0: complex sports. And when you fatigue and your mechanics go, this is, it's so applicable to people across all sports because you you get tired, you can't hold your mechanics, you get hurt, you're on the DL, all the fans are mad at you and you have to fix your life.
1: And if I (laughs) tell you though, you're going to do a hundred of these for time, you're like, okay, I'm going to do a hundred for time, right? But what really I need you to do is say, when your skill breaks down because you're no longer able to carry that skill or there's some variable to challenge your skill, I need you to stop and be able to identify that we're beginning to look at strength and conditioning as tests of physiology. As long as I got more conditioned and stronger, I won. Well, I can put you on a Peloton and put you on a leg press machine and give you really big quads and really big lungs, but that's not going to make you play tag or football or anything very well or tennis. Your tennis is going to suck. If I do those two things, right? There's no skill. There's no context of all. So to your point, What we're always trying to do then is say, well, how can we better understand our limitations? And it's sometimes it's not mechanical. It's not because your hips are stiff. It's because you're not skilled or you haven't practiced. So we should say, and everyone coach can hear this practice doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent. It's perfect practice makes perfect, right? So there's a reason that your coach will cut you off. When she thinks that you've done enough work or you're starting to make movement errors or you're starting to not be able to self-correct or feel, you're done. You've exceeded your ability to learn as a human being. And that is the thing that's missing from our movement diagnostic language.
0: So how do you, what do you do about this then? Like if you're a normal person and and you can't raise your hands over your head without turning your thumbs backwards and you decide you want to fix that, what do you do?
1: Well, the first thing you should do
0: is be asking yourself, "Am I?" ever
1: in a position where I'm putting my arms over my head. So what we all like to do is like, show me the mobilization star, At Show me where I put the ball. And I'm like, well, (laughs) show me where you put your arms over your head during the day. (laughs) And what you see is that many of us go, you know, Harvard defines sedentary lifestyle as sitting more than six hours a day. That's a sedentary lifestyle. It doesn't matter how fit you are. If you're sitting more than six hours a day, that's a sedentary lifestyle. And that's aggregate. So think about your commute, think about your meetings, think about this podcast, think about all of those things. And then ask yourself, well, if we looked at movement as a meal, as food, which foods are you eating during the day? So you could get like, you know, what are you like? Well, how much did you really extend your hip? Well, I I walked around a little bit. I mean, so oh, so your knee went one inch behind your butt 2,000 times today. That was all the movement you did, right? You didn't put your arms over your head. You didn't put your arms behind you. You didn't twist or rotate or even take a big breath. You didn't flex your ankle all the way. Why should you be surprised that those... Positions become rusty that your brain says, Well, we don't value them, so we don't need to practice them very much. Or your tissues, conversely, which are weirdly attached directly to your brain, also start to say, Oh, we don't, let's just take our eyes off that for a minute, right? So, what I'm saying here in a very roundabout, round the barn way is the first order of business is to spend t- some time in those positions. So, if you want to put your arms over your head, I would say, well, grab a door frame every time you go through it. Take a breath. Mm-hmm. Do some downward dog once in a while. It's weird how downward dog, like yogis, are obsessed with down dog. You go to any yoga class, you're like, why did I spend 10 minutes in this overhead position? It's like someone thought it was super important for you to breathe with your arms overhead. Did you swim? Do you hang from a pull up bar? And suddenly, the first order of business is to spend time in that position before we start adding complexity. So if you want to restore your hip rotation, notice that sneakily I said, or hip function, I was like, let's sit on the ground a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Because sitting on the ground, you could accumulate hours of hip flexion, hours of rotation, hours of like, and you don't have to do anything. It's just working in the background. So what we're trying to ask people to do is say, hey, look, I want to increase the movement richness in your day-to-day life. How you want to do that is certainly up to you. And it doesn't have to be really complex. If you jumped into sun salutation, Google sun salutation, Mm -hmm. right? And you're like, what is that? Is that like, that's some like kind of 80s, 70s yoga thing. You'll be like, oh, these bloody people figured out that if you did this 10 minute thing in the morning, you hit a lot of fundamental positions. It was like taking the body out, running it. How does it feel? I have flown in the back of the Blue Angels. I work with a lot of pilots the first thing they do when they load up the airplane is they do these G prep turns, which means these are pilots. These are men and women who are so good at flying these things, but they don't know how their body feels. and They don't know how the airframe feels. So they go ahead and crank over and pull some Gs and they crank over and pull some Gs. And that's when they're like, oh, plane is sluggish. My body doesn't feel very good. I'm super tired. Okay, now I'm prepared. It's like they test out the system before they use the system. Mm-hmm. And that sun salutation idea is, hey, here's a movement practice that touches the corners and ranges and starts to expose me to some positions that I may not use the rest of my day, but at least I've reminded my brain I've been in those shapes and positions. And that's where we're sort of losing our minds.
0: Before I sat down to do this podcast, which is probably going to be 60 minutes, and I've done two other ones today, I did... 30 minutes and probably did about 50 sun salutations. So I now feel better about myself as a human, just saying. Yeah. So <laughs> that is
1: so savage. And so saying, hey, look, I think what we think is unless I have a perfect hour to get something in, I shouldn't do it. So like Julia and I, we're huge fans of running. We think honestly running is that one of the things that has made humans extraordinary, extraordinarily successful on the planet, but running is a skill. And just telling people to go out and just run, it'll solve all your problems. Holy moly. Like You can run for a long time and you have a moment to develop that skill. So don't panic. What I think you need to do is put a load, a backpack on your back and go walk. And let me put it in the sand for you. I think you should walk eight to 10,000 steps a day. Some days you're going to walk seven. That's fine. Some days you're going to walk 15. But as an average, I'm trying to get you to walk more and I'm trying to get you to load more. Pick up that backpack, put some load into your spine. You'll find that that extra load really challenges your feet. Like my feet are cooked from carrying this 10 pound backpack around. You're like, isn't that weird? So we need to systematically load ourselves and prepare ourselves for work. And that work may be, I'm preparing myself to sit at the computer all day. I need to do something. Stan Efferding is an incredible power lifter, nutrition expert, helps some of our strongest men and women eat. Like if you're the mountain and you're gonna compete in the world's strongest man, you're Brian Shaw, you hire Stan Efferding to help you with food, right? Because how else do you program for someone who weighs 450 pounds? Like how much do they eat? Why do they eat, right? But he has a simple model. I want you to go for a 10 minute walk after every meal. How simple is that? That's 30 minutes of walking, which I guarantee you will not do. But I'm like, you have to walk for 10 minutes after every meal. Everyone's like, well, I didn't do that. So when we start to constrain our behaviors, and let me give you the most simple example. I love cookies and ice cream. I I I will never give it up. It's one of the reasons I exercise so obsessively. But if I have cookies in the house, I will probably eat all the cookies. Isn't that
0: weird? It's not weird. It's the same. I I eat dessert after every meal. I eat breakfast dessert every day. Dark chocolate. I'm with you on that. And (laughs) what I'm
1: saying is if I want to curtail my cookie consumption, what I do is don't have cookies in the house. I'm like, oh, I have to eat this other thing, right? This other food. But I can be eating cookies. So if we set ourselves up so we don't have to make another decision, that's better. If we set ourselves up so we can, like, here's another example. My wife cuts up mason jars full of fruit for the whole family to take. Because guess what happens when there's mason jars of pre-cut strawberries and we, we That's what we eat. That's what we eat. And she's like, this is amazing. When I cut it up and put it in a cold fridge, if it's in a bag and it looks like a strawberry, but it's not cut up in a jar, everyone's like, I don't know what that is, but it's, I can't eat that. So <laughs> All we're trying to do is cleverly use our brains to make a better decision. If you can leave your phone in the kitchen instead of taking it into the bedroom, you don't have to decide if you're gonna answer the email or go on TikTok or watch a YouTube video before we go to bed. It's not there. And so that's that's really the way that I try to trick myself by constraining the environment so I'm more likely to do the right thing. Then I have these basic patterns. I sit on the ground a lot. I like to walk. You know, I walk to work whenever I can. I have that luxury of being able to do that. Again, the other thing I think I want people to just to hear is that you don't have to play perfectly. There are some things that you should improve on. And if you didn't get it today, you'll get it tomorrow. And then you can play a little better the next day because you are that robust. And as we chase normal, as we chase your normative expressions, you'll see tremendous improvement in the output of the system change your shoulder flexion a little bit, you'll see that your swimming time's improved or your serve got stronger. And suddenly you're like, whoa, I like that. I just crushed this. I don't know why I was so good today. And how many times have I had these conversations with elite athletes who have been able to get into a position, we restore that position, they go out and set a world record and they're like, thank you. And I'm like, "Mm, you were doing all the work. I just took the break off the system. So that's how we test this stuff. And then we also just realize that, look, at the very least, If you got on the ground in ten minutes before you went to bed and got on your roller and just rolled around in something that was stiff or uncomfortable, like hey, what? Like just do this little inventory. How's my body feel today? My feet ache. Great. I'm just going to roll my feet out for ten minutes. Five minutes left. Five minutes right. That's seventy minutes of massage a week. Holy moly, right? That's a lot of input. And I think really what we're seeing is in this mismatch between environment and modern organism. We aren't getting enough input into the system. No wonder people like to get hot and they like to get cold and they like to get massage and vibration. All of this is just input and your, your nervous system is just an extension of your brain. Your eyes are your brain outside your body. If you just look only at two and a half feet away from you on the screen all day long, guess what? You probably don't turn your eyes around. You're not good at focusing near and far. If you just went for a walk and looked around your neighborhood, that stuff would be taken care of. You don't need mm-hmm. to program it into your workout. Go ride your mountain bike. Go throw a Frisbee. I guarantee you, you'll do all the eye movements you need. But as we have tried to take exercise and turn it into a vitamin, instead of turning it into a gourmet dinner, we're going to keep coming up against this problem.
0: So I feel like I could ask you, We, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you about this for like 12 hours, but we really only have about three minutes left here. I think that, so you mentioned really quickly the foam roller there. And I know that you think that that is very important with the lacrosse ball. My little blue one is behind me over there. Just the gear list for you is the lacrosse ball, the foam roller, maybe two lacrosse balls taped together. This all costs like 10 bucks. Why is this stuff so important?
1: Or even less, right? You can use a wine bottle. You can use uh, your kid's baseball. The idea is, why don't you know how to self-soothe? Why don't you know how to, to make yourself feel better? Why don't you understand that you can change your pain, change your position, or decrease the session cost, de- eliminate DOMS, de- improve your ready state, Allow yourself to go to bed earlier. Those things are the Do you know how to feed yourself? Well, it turns out, well, we don't. We really, the pandemic has shown us we're not very good at taking care of ourselves. We found that people didn't know how to cook. They didn't know how to shop, right? They just were eating out all the time. I and mean, we really, really just highlighted a whole lot of things. If you want to understand how good a system is, stress the system. I don't want to do this stress again. Don't get me wrong. I didn't play a perfect game. And so I was dealing with my stress The way I always do, I'm just like, I got this. I just, I got to run this next class five rapid. We had to close our gym last November in the pandemic. And prior to closing the gym, it was so stressful, trying to keep everyone fed, trying to keep the lights on. I developed hiccups because I burned a hole in my stomach. And I hiccuped, wait for it, for 11 days straight. Oh my God. I hiccup four to six times a minute. For 11 days, I went on Thorazine. I was hypnotized. I stumped every doctor in the region. They were just like, we don't know what's going on here. And ultimately, I had to heal my stomach. And that really helped. You know, the that kicked on finally after 11 days. But that was me drinking too much coffee, right? And not recognizing that I was a stress case. And I got a bunch of signals. I'm sure I just blew right through. And then what kicked it off was I took my assault bike into the sauna where it was 200 degrees and I crushed myself and that stress suddenly was too much for my body. My point here is, if you have ability to self-soothe, there's a lot of things that maybe feel like like if your blood pressure is not 120 over 80, which by the way, isn't great blood pressure, it's the cutoff between, hey, we should, pay. We should take a pet. Well, what if you had the same way of thinking about your hips, or your ankles, or your shoulders. Then you'd be like, oh, it's not, a, it's not an emergency, but hey, I could keep it on this. Or you could move in and say, because that hasn't happened yet, I haven't made the case for that well enough. We could suddenly say, well, what hurts? And that could be information. And what, one of the things that we're trying to do, and one of the reasons that I'm such a fan of having this ball and roller, is that musculoskeletal pain is very common. And we are very disingenuous about how we talk about it. So let me just be clear for everyone. This is probably the most important thing I'll say on the podcast. Pain does not mean injury and pain does not mean tissue trauma or tissue damage. That is a mistake. Pain is information. And I'm not trying to belittle it. Pain is a request for change. Pain is a request for change. If you showed up in the gym and I'm like, wow, you suck today. What's going on with that? You're like, well, I had three pitchers of beer and I ate two pizzas and I stayed up all night with my, my best friends from, from high school. Okay. We can see a kind of connection between biomotor output, right? You sucked on your wattage and these behaviors. So you wouldn't panic that your wattage was down. Well, I want you to think about pain is the same. It's information about how your body is functioning, but it's information that we've been taught to fear or taught to not appreciate. And it is chronic pain, persistent pain. If you're in pain, it's a real deal. But one of the things that we sort of don't do on the regular is we don't help people manage that in holistic ways people are already coping with pain with bourbon with thc with adderall and ambien whatever they need right they're reaching for opiates they're reaching for whatever it is they need to make themselves feel better and what we have found out is that you can harness that to say hey look my little back is a little achy well, guess what that's pain that is your body giving you information Do you have to wait until your pain is so severe that you can't do your job before you go get help? That seems really weird. I blow up the engine in my car, and then once it's on fire, I'm like, I should probably uh, put some oil in that, you know? Like, that's madness. No one does that. But around our bodies, we haven't told anyone that they can actually make themselves feel better or that restore their position or down-regulate or all those things. So if you have a ball and a roller, it's a really easy way into some of these conversations about your body. And sometimes it's just about input. We're just putting non-threatening input in the body. Your brain's like, oh,
0: look at that low back. It's fine. Someone touched it. It's fine. Let's go somewhere else. So Kelly, where can everybody follow you and the ready state to get all of this great information about how to take care of themselves? We are at the ready state.
1: And we're finishing up a 14-day Ankle Challenge, that should be only I'm telling people because we give everyone a two-week free membership to our site where you can come in and jump into some down regulation or on our app, do a self-assessment in terms of your movement potential. You can kind of take a look around and we have a little simple on-right program. And if you cancel after 14 days, I guarantee you'll have a base understanding of how to take care of your body besides... Oh, it's all good. You were just pain is inevitable. Slow, decrepit decay is inevitable. What a bunch of horse crap that is.
0: (laughs) Take that, everybody. What a bunch of horse crap that that is. Kelly, I I thank you so much for uh, joining us. It's always great to talk to you. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much to Kelly for joining us on Food of the Gods. To take advantage of Kelly's expert guidance on mobility, pick up his New York Times bestselling book, Becoming a Supple Leopard, and visit his website, The Ready State, which offers mobility training programs for athletes of all levels. You can also follow Kelly on Instagram and Twitter at, at The Ready State. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant podcast production.